Good evening, good evening. Come on in, like and share, like and share. Good evening, good evening. Come on in, good evening, good evening. Good evening, go ahead and share. Good evening. Come on in, like and share, like and share. We're continuing from last week. Come on in, like and share. We are seeing through the mirage. Good evening, my Roxanne. Hey, E, good evening, sir. Come on in, like and share. Get over to Colossians 2. We're finishing up our, uh, our, our conversation on last week, Seeing Through the Mirage. Thank you for joining. Hey, Pop. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Good evening to my Podbean listeners, iHeartRadio, good evening, Pandora, good evening. Thank you for joining me on this evening. Good evening, Facebook, thank you for joining. Come on in, come on in. You are listening to the Manifesting God podcast with your host, 
Marie Elizabeth. This podcast will uplift and thrust you into the manifestation of the promises of God in your life. Thank you so much for joining me on this Monday evening, November the 30th, the very last day of November in this year, 2020. God has kept us, y'all. God has kept us. Thank you again so much for joining me on today. We are in Colossians 2. We are in Colossians 2, and we are picking up from where we left off on last week, seeing through the mirage, seeing through the mirage. And just a little backup information or just a little review, as I could say it like that, um, we talked about on last week, we began by talking about who Paul was and why his letters were so significant, specifically this letter to the Colossian church. Why was this letter so, so, so necessary? Why was it so significant? And it was significant because of what Paul addressed in this letter. He was concerned for their spiritual warfare. warfare. He was concerned for their spiritual welfare, their being. He was concerned for them and he wrote a letter to them because he needed to open their eyes to heresy. He needed to give the, to warn them against false teaching and he needed to present a case by which they could fight false teaching where they could have a voice and speak up against false teaching and actually understand the whys, the whys, why it's dangerous. He taught them in this letter, holy living. He talked about that. He talked about the rules for Christian households in chapter three. He gave them instructions in chapter four, and then he gave his final benediction at the end of chapter four. But the thing that we're focusing on in this letter is the heresy and how Paul strategically strategically address these new believers of Christ so that they could wage a good spiritual warfare. We also talked about on last week who Paul was. We talked about who he was. So we know that he was born in Tarsus because it's important when we're speaking of these letters or when we're reading a book in the Bible, we need to understand the author who, if we know who the author is, what information can we assess, attain about that author to give us a better understanding of the person that's writing and the whys of his writing. So we knew that he was uh, from the Roman province of Sicilia. Tarsus, um, and we understand that Paul is one that was a, what they would call a, Ju- a Judaism extremist. He 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 heavily believed what he believed, and because. The Christians, he felt, did not believe what he believed. He thought that he was doing God a favor by persecuting them. He thought he was doing a favor to God by even taking their lives. And Paul considered himself a Jew in terms of circumcision. However, Paul was a Benjamin, Benjamin, he came from the 
Benjamite, if I'm saying that right, lineage. This is where he came from, of a Hebrew ancestry, um, the Pharisistic training. He studied in the in the rabbi area era under uh, um, Gamia, Gam, Gamaliel. If I'm saying that right, I don't believe I'm saying it right. But he studied under Gamaliel, and he um, rose to the through the ranks of his religion. We're talking about Paul. I'm just giving you just a reminder of what we talked about last week of who Paul was. Um, Paul's secular trade was that of a tent maker, and he was called into service of the Jewish religious leadership, and he became a persecutor of the Christians, a persecutor of the Christians. Paul was trilingual, so he knew several languages, and so that tells us his comprehension level. This is important to know because it tells us his comprehension letter, his comprehension level. His letters, they 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 um, attest to his command of the Greek language, so we knew that he knew how to communicate uh, at many, many different levels, of many different levels. So we after we talked about who Paul was, we talked about, um, you know, the timing. When did he write this book to the Colossians saints? When did he write this book to these Colossian Christians? And he wrote this book. Um, some um, theologians believe that he wrote this book when he was imprisoned, when he was in Rome, when he was in the two years of house arrest. They believe that this is when Paul may have written this book. And I think it's also important to understand that city, the city of um, Coloss, and understand what kind of people were in Coloss. What, who were the people that Paul was writing to? So we understood last week who Paul was, and we understood why he was writing. We also understood who the people were that Paul was writing to. And he was writing to a people that at one time were in a city where they were uh, the leading city in in um, in in marketing. They were they were they were on the main trade route. So you can imagine there was many businesses, many trades, many transactions going on. This is where you went to buy and sell. However, as the years went on. By the first century, they were nothing more than um, their, uh, a second-rate market town. So it had went down. It had went way down. So that was no longer the place to buy and sell. It, was, it wasn't even a place where one would want. I mean, that's how far down their reputation had gone that they and that no one really bought and sell there anymore. They were no, no more than a market at this point, a place just to go purchase some immediate goods at this point. And this is important because trade is, 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 um, it gives you the impression of not only many transactions, but much business, much activity, vib vibrant, you know, there's a vibrancy about the city that was no longer there. It was no longer there. And see, uh, Paul came to know this church because when he was doing his ministry in Ephesus, he met Epaphras. He met Epaphras and he converted him. He ministered to him and he converted him. Now, Epaphras then went to Colossus and he took the word that Paul gave him to them. Okay, so he took the word. Paul delivered one. One went to a city. 
deliver the city. Paul told one, one went to a city and he delivered the city. And so because they, Paul had that connection, what happened was when, when heresies began to seep into this young church of these young believers, when heresy, because they were young believers, they, they were thought to be ripe for the manipulating. And so what happened was when, when they began to, when people began to come in with tidbits of their truth and try to infiltrate what these Christians, young Christians had been taught, right? That is when Epaphras went back to Paul and told Paul what was happening. He explained to Paul what was going on. Then Paul commences to write this letter. And you can imagine he told Paul in detail because when Paul writes this letter, he comes against ceremonialism. He comes against asceticism. He comes against angel worship, depreciation of Christ, secret knowledge, and reliance on human wisdom and tradition. He comes against these things. But what I really like about this book is Paul's strategic approach to how he comes at that because he's dealing with extreme Judaism and the, the, the beginning seeds of Gnosticism because Gnosticism had not yet been fully developed. That had not been fully so, but it was just like the seeds of Gnosticism had been planted. And you got to remember now, Gnosticism, it is in definition, um, a diverse form uh, receives its impulse in and in and of the guidance of pagan philosophy. It's in different ways, in different ways, it denied the humanity of Christ. And Paul had to come against that. It denied the humanity of Christ because we understand as Christians, we got it, we have to understand that Jesus was indeed born. He was indeed born. He did indeed live in the earth just as we do. We do not have a savior who does not understand our infirmities. I'm still reviewing. We don't have a savior who does not understand our infirmities. He did indeed walk so in this earth. So Paul had to address that because Gnosticism at this time was denying the humanity of Christ. Remember now, I'm just talking about the beginning seeds of Gnosticism and extreme Judaism at that time was a collective religious, cultural, and legal tradition and civilization of the Jewish people. So it enforced legalism and strictness. And this is why Paul had to come against um, ceremonialism and asceticism and angel worship and depreciation of Christ and the secret knowledge and the, and the which really was related to the human wisdom and tradition. This is why Paul had to speak on this this is why he had to address it because if not because the gnosticism just enter just and uh extreme judaism introduced a little bit of truth a little bit of truth that might in one way or form align to christianity it was it would be very easy to trick the young Christians into thinking that they are still following Christ and they are still following what they've been taught when in fact they walking in a completely different direction and opposing direction at that. 
And Paul was one that could expose it. He could expose extreme Judaism. He could expose legalism and ceremonialism and antithesism. He could explore, he could expose these things. And the reason why he could expose it, because he was it. Remember, we talked about that on last week. Paul was it. So Paul was an intelligent man. We know that he was educated. He could speak in multiple language. He languages. He understood a level at a level that these young Christians could not. And he understood how they could be deceived. So he had to step in and strategically pull the covers back, slowly, slowly clear the fog of the mirage so that they could see clearly and know, basically in one word, that they were being duped. Know that they were being misled. Know that they were being misguided. Paul was able to do that, but it was because one reason, he had the experience. He understood in levels that they not understood. So he knew how the gospel of Christ could be so manipulated and so far off base from its original truth that the people of God could be taken over. Think about it today. Think about today how in times past where you, someone you were listening to with our social media advantages of the internet and be able to speak to people and, and people being able to hear multiple voices, how one, how easily one could be confused when there's a, just a, a, a mere morsel of truth to what another is saying. And all they have to do is forsake the entire sentence for the one word that's true. For the one word that's true. Imagine how easily deceived these young Christians were. That they thought for sure that they were going in the right way. But then Paul had to come back and guide them. Gently guide them back to that place where they were aligned with Christ. Because at this point they were starting to misalign. They were starting to misalign just simply based on a one word of truth. They didn't read the entire sentence, nor did they, nor were they given the entire sentence, nor were they given the entire paragraph. They were given one word of truth. One word of truth can completely one word of truth. If we believe one word of truth and do not read our Bibles for ourselves, do not ascertain a word of knowledge and understanding for ourselves, how easily it is that we too would be deceived. I told you on last week that with the internet and, and us having so many voices speaking throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month in our ears, that it's, we have to be careful. We have to make sure that when we are listening, that we are, that we hear of Jesus's birth, of his life, that he walked this earth we need to hear that and that he died and not only that he died, but he rose again and that he is sitting at the right hand of the father and he is interceding for us today. He is interceding for us right now. Every word we hear should point us back 
to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, a triune being. We have Jesus, we have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Every word we hear should direct us back to the true and living Savior. It has to include all the components of Christ's life. It cannot just say, there are many that believe God, 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 and God, 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 and God this and God that, and they will draw you in with a godly discussion. But they do not tell you the doorway by which you can get to God. The only doorway is Jesus, is Jesus. Without Jesus, you cannot get to God. He is the door. He is the door. Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, he is our only access point to God, to God. Not our own wisdom, as, as Paul had to tell them in Colossians, not, not your own wisdom, not your intellect, your intellect will not get you to God. Only Jesus can get you to God. I don't care how many degrees you have. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you cannot touch God. You can't get in. Jesus, again, is our open door. He is our open door. And the theme of this book, the theme of Colossians, is simply the complete adequacy of Christ as contrasted with the emptiness of mere human philosophy. Let's be careful when we try to mix mere human philosophy with the word with the Bible, with the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, I am in school right now, and I, am, I will graduate next year with a doctorate in philosophy. However, when I pick up my Bible, the doctorate degree to the left or to your right, whichever one you are, but it goes, it, is, it has nothing to do with the word of God. I do not weigh the word of God as Dr. Marie Kenyon. I weigh the word of God as God has called me to my name, Prophetess Marie King. That's the way I understand the word of God. Philosophy doesn't has no place in the word of God. My intellect has no place in the, my worldly intellect, my worldly knowledge, my worldly understanding does not, does not give me revelation, wisdom, and understanding when it comes to the word of God. My only door to get that understanding is Jesus Christ himself. Only Jesus Christ himself. Paul says this in Colossians 2, to be, he says, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Verse 3, in whom are hid all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Let's not be tricked by one that is so articulate, that they sound so intellectual, that we are seduced by their intellect into thinking that we have access to the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are within the mysteries of God. 
We do not have access to the mysteries of God, nor to the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are in God with enticing words or with our intellect, as I've just said. We have those things because we have relationship with Christ and those things us having access to those things depend on our acknowledgement of God, the father and of the Christ. Okay. So beware. Verse eight says, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. I'm going to pause right there because you're going to find a lot of times with philosophy, with intellect comes vain deceit comes, 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 you, you'll see it. You'll see postings like you are, you are, you, you are mighty in God and you can do whatever you, you want to do, whatever you, you are great and wonderful. You should depend on yourself to get where you have to go. All you have to do is apply your wisdom and you can get there. No, you can't. You will get, if you're in God, you're going to get where God wants you to be when God says it's time for you to get there. In the meantime, what do you do? You study to show yourselves approved. You study your Bible to show yourself approved. That's what you do in the meantime. In the meantime. We, we, we get, we get real relaxed when it comes to the things of God. If it's something good, listen, God gives us all the ability to get wealth, whether that be, whether that wealth be understanding, whether that wealth be a car, whether that wealth be a home, whether that wealth be stocks and bonds, he gives us the ability to get wealth, meaning anything in the world we want, we can learn. We have the ability to learn and apply that learning to get the thing that we want. When it comes to the things of God, we too have the ability to apply ourselves, apply ourselves to godly wisdom, to godly understanding so that God will unlock the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and give us that which we need to have a revelation of who he is of who he is, but that is not going to come from my book study, um, my psychology book study from school. It's not going to come from that. I have get the education here in the earth realm for the things that I am to attain in the earth realm for the eternal things. I have to go through Jesus for my eternal wisdom. I have to go through Jesus for anything that I am to be in God. I must attain to treasure to the treasures I must attain to receive the mystery of God and receive those treasures of wisdom and knowledge of wisdom and knowledge. Come on. Cause in God's treasures of wisdom and knowledge there in God are the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As I sit at his feet, he will open them to me. He will open them to me and I will have understanding. I will have understanding, hence the knowledge. He will open the wisdom to me and I will have the knowledge. I will have the understanding. Verse 13 says, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him to make quickened together with him. He's made us alive with him and he's forgiven us of all of our trespasses. Verse 14 says he's blotted out the handwriting of the ordinance that were against us, 
which was contrary to us and he took it out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. Those in Christ are not in relationship with sin, but are forgiven of their trespasses. Those who are in Christ are not in relationship with sin. Because we've been forgiven of our trespasses. Our flesh is not disciplined or cut by the world, but is on display as a walk with Christ. Our flesh is not disciplined and cut by the world. It's on display. It's on display as a walk with Christ. Cut flesh, this is a walk with Christ on display. It's on display so that all can understand what a walk in Christ looks like. A walk in Christ is a disciplined flesh. A walk in Christ is a disciplined mouth. A walk in Christ, disciplined eyes. A walk in Christ, I'm even disciplining what I allow to come through my ear gates. Because of my walk with Christ. My walk with Christ. Verse 15 says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly. He triumphed openly over them. See, this has already been proven. This has already been proven. We don't have anything to prove to the world. We just have to show them a crucified flesh on display. I don't have to prove the work that Christ has already done. I don't have to prove that my walk, my, my discipline proves that because it's already in me. It's already in me. Verse 16 says, let no man therefore judge you attempt to make you conform to the world or in meat or in drink or in respect of any holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. This is Paul telling them, don't let anybody come in and try to make you conform to the world system. Don't try to, don't let them make you eat a certain way. Don't let them make you drink a certain way. Or don't, don't let them tell you uh, that you got to serve on a particular holy day. Or you got to serve, you have to present sacrifices at the new moon. Or there's certain Sabbath days. Don't let no man come and deter you from what God has already delivered you from. Do not let no man bring you into the bondage of legalism. Don't let no man confine you, confine you to legalism, to legalism, legalism of the flesh, the rules and the bonds of the flesh. You're not allowed to eat that. You're not allowed to, you're not allowed to have that to, as a beverage. You're not allowed. You have to worship on that day. Don't let no man tell you because your rules, your regulations are already written on your heart. If you are God's and God is, if you are God's like the Bible tells us, I'm going to be your, I'm going to write my word on your heart. You're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. If you are God's, his word is written on your heart. You understand and you already know your limitations. You're not going to allow the flesh to drag you into the world system and the world's way of celebrating over the holidays and the world's way of gathering over the holidays and the world's places of gathering over the holidays. You're not going to allow your flesh to drag you into that because your spirit drives your flesh. Your flesh doesn't drive your spirit. 
So you are a disciplined one. Because those things, you have no need of them because Christ has already resurrected you from those dead things. They are dead to you already. How dare we try to make a liar out of Christ when we conform to what he's already delivered us from, that he's already made dead to us. He's already made it dead to us, but yet we conform to the dead thing. That he's already resurrected us out of. So that means we cower down and submit to a dead thing. The world system, dead thing. The world celebration tactics, dead thing. What the world calls discipline, dead thing. Dead to us because we are alive in Christ. We are alive in Christ. Let no man take your life that Christ has given to you and force it to conform to a worldly system. Why? Because your life is together with Christ. It's one with Christ. Anyone who attempts to make you conform to a worldly life, they're trying to make Christ conform to a worldly life. That alone should be enough to make you stand up. That they're trying to make your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ conform. To the world, Christ is going to conform to what he created. Christ will not conform to what he created. Think about it. We know of such faiths where they create their God. Christ did not create us to bow to us. He did not create us to bow to the world system. That is not one of a person that is alive with Christ. That is not a thing that we would do. That is not a thing that we would submit to. Verse 17 says, which are a shadow of things to come. Meaning it's a facsimile. It's a facsimile. They try to make, they try to make in the world that, you know, we're living our best life. Uh, oh, I have this, I have that, I can do that, I have a platform, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and I'm living my best life. I submit, your best life is yet to come, if you are in Christ. So we don't have to submit as if this is the one and only life that we have. We have an eternal life with Christ. We will live eternally with Christ. Anything that the world could offer us is but a mirage. It is but a mirage. And I implore you today to see through, see past the mirage, see past what the enemy is using to seduce you away from God, what he's using to seduce you away from God. And the only way you can know what that is, is if you daily examine yourself, because anything that the enemy could use to lure you away from God, the Bible says that we are seduced. We are lured away from God by our own lust, by our own lust, the things that we secretly desire. Those are the things that the enemy taps into to lure us away from God. He lures us away with one truth, with one, with one small truth. Um, the holidays, everyone is, everyone is drinking. So, you know, well, well, Jesus drank wine, one truth. And next thing you know, you're drunk. One truth. 
And next thing you know, you're drunk. See, you read that you saw the, you saw the word, but you didn't read the whole sentence of the enemy. And you didn't read the whole paragraph of the enemy. He hid that from you. So you didn't realize that when he said, well, Jesus had, Jesus turned water into wine and, and Jesus, and you know, in Jesus day, they drank wine or whatever like that. Now, all of a sudden your half a glass of wine is turned into a bottle. Cause you didn't read the paragraph when he said, if I could just convince them to take a sip. Surely I can convince them to have a cup full. If I can convince them, convince them to have a cup full, then I can convince them to have two glasses. If I can convince them to have two, two, three glasses, I can convince them to have six. If I can convince them to have six, they have now drank the bottle. Read the whole paragraph. Don't allow the enemy to seduce you away with one word of truth. One word of truth. One word. See, the mirage, let's talk a little bit about that. We talked about Paul, who Paul was. I reminded you we talked about that last week. We talked about why Paul wrote to this church. We talked about how his relationship came to be with this church. And then we talked about how this was a new church, this church of Colossae. They were a new people in God. They were young believers in God. And seducers were coming in trying to seduce them away from God, trying to manipulate their faith, manipulate their beliefs. And they did this by way of a mirage. And Paul was able to dissect and slowly um, expose this mirage for what it was. See, a mirage is something illusionary. It's, it's, an, it's unattainable. It truly is unattainable. But the enemy's job is to make you think that it, it can be attained. It can be attained. It's like it's like the person who's um, now hooked on drugs, but they're literally just keep chasing the first high, the first high, the first time. They're just still chasing that. It's like the girl who likes the guy, uh, oh, oh, the girl who likes the married guy, and but God said that's my husband, sweetie. He's married. I'm pretty sure that you are seeing this thing through a mirage. That man is married. He is actually not your husband. He's actually not. You know, so it's, it's the, it's the, it's the word, the word, the one word that the enemy presents that lures you in. A mirage is an optical illusion. It's caused by atmospheric conditions, especially the appearance of like a sheet of water in a desert. You know, you've heard that before or on a hot road caused um, by a refraction of the light or um, like the sky by the heated air. When you see the you see the clouds coming up seemingly from the ground, but it's really the cold hitting the the heat the heat of the ground or the heat hitting the cold of the ground, and it produces like a cloud on the ground. We call it fog. So it's like that, or it's something that appears real or possible, but in fact it's not so. A mirage is a naturally occurring optical phenomenon. In which light rays bend via refraction to produce a displaced image of distant objects in or in or the sky. The word comes from the English word or the French word mirror, 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 M-I-R-E-R. And this uh, word in Latin is mirari. Okay, and so when we think about it, the thing that caught my attention about this definition is that it's a naturally occurring optical phenomenon in which light bends 
in which light is bent via refraction to produce a displaced image of distant objects or the sky. It is light bent. What do we understand light to be? It is truth. It is Christ bent, bent, bent. It is bent via refraction. It produces a displaced image. So the image isn't even really there. The image is not really there. It is when we think of a mirage, we should th we think of the enemy bending, bending the truth, bending the truth to produce a displaced image, to produce an imagery, an imagination of your choosing, of your choosing, because he's luring you away with your choice. It's of your choosing. It's of a, it's in, it's the, the displaced image is in a distance. But you think it's right there. You think it's touchable. You think it's in front of your face. You think it's true. You think it's true. When in fact, all that's happened is the enemy has bent the light, bent the word of Christ, bent Christ, bent it to get your attention, to lure you in by way of a displaced imagery, a displaced imagery. We need to think about that. What, what can the enemy, this is why we ask God to cleanse us daily from filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit and to perfect holiness in us that we might walk worthy of the vocation wherein we are called. The reason why we ask God, Paul said it like that. And the reason why we ask God to do that in us is because we have to always know what what truth, what small truth can the enemy present, bend it to lure us away? What small truth can the enemy take and bend it as an object in the distant that will cause us to walk towards it and move towards that lie, move towards that distant object, that distant bent, ob that distant bent light that he put in front of us? What caused us to move? We talked a few weeks ago about um, about um, staying in our heavenly seat, staying in our heavenly seat. What can the enemy use to draw you out and away from that heavenly seat, away from the, where you receive your strength, where your power is? What can the enemy use today? And it is that thing, that secret hidden thing that you want purged. You want it purged. We are entering into a new month tomorrow, a new month tomorrow. This is your time to dig deep and find that thing, that little thing, that bent ray, that bent light that the enemy has placed in front of you and dangled as a distorted image that you thought you were moving towards Christ, but you find out you are not. See, because this is what happened to the church at Colossae. This is what happened to them. They thought they were moving in Christ and they were moving, uh, they were moving away from him instead. And the bent image the, that was that, that bent the, the bent image with the distant object, the object, the distinct object in a dis at a distance, they thought it was Christ and it was not Christ. Instead, they were following a mirage. 
they were following a mirage. Verse 18 says, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Don't let anyone seduce you away from your reward. What is your reward? Life in Christ, freedom in Christ. You are free from the bondage of sin in Christ. Don't let anyone, any man, any woman seduce you, seduce you away with their vainly puffed up and fleshly mind. And if we look today, we see a lot of that today, a vainly puffed up fleshly mind, an arrogant mind, a prideful mind. We see a lot of that today. Don't allow yourself to be seduced, seduced away from the promises, the reward that's in Christ Jesus by some of these vainly puffed up fleshly minded folks. And verse 19 says, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. Paul is telling the church in Colossus the same thing he told the church in Ephesus 4 and 16. He said it here, from the whole body that's fitly joined together, it's knit together, it's compacted, where every joint is supplying the other joint and the effectual working in every measure of every part. It makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. It increases with the increase of God. So he's telling them, don't allow someone to come in and divide you all. You were raised up together in Christ. Don't let someone come in and divide you all. See, the body has to be fitly joined together because each joint, as it's knitted together, it supplies the joint next to it, just as our body does. It supplies, every joint supplies the next joint. Every joint makes sure the joint next to it has nourishment. Every joint is working to its measure in every part. And because each joint is working in its own part, it's and supplying the joint that's next to it. It's increasing the joint that's next to it. So he's telling them here, don't set, don't allow anyone to come in and separate you, not only from each other, but from God. Don't allow anyone to come and separate you from truth. Don't be deceived by the bent light and, and, and that you start moving toward the distant object. Don't do it. It's a mirage he's trying to tell them. It's trying to move you out of your place in Christ. We as the body of believers have to understand that we too are in that same predicament. We are in that same predicament. We cannot allow ourselves to be moved, to be uh, separated 
from the truth that is Jesus Christ. We cannot allow ourselves to be separated from our brothers and sisters that are in Christ. We cannot allow ourselves the separation because each joint supplies the next joint. Each joint supplies the next joint. I supplied the person to the left and the right of me. And that same, same too, to the left or the right, supply me. It makes us effective. It makes us effective. As in, when we're joined to Christ. As we're joined to Christ, he makes us effective in him. In him. He makes us effective in him him even 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 though uh we are in a separation period some of us now as the church doors aren't all open and it looks like some are closing back down because um the virus is is um uh, uh running more rampant ramping up even more so um still there is a connection in the spirit and as long as we stay connected to Christ we will be connected in the spirit and Paul is simply explaining to them how to not let the seeds of Gnosticism the seeds of extreme Judaism come and introduce law legalism introduce um, rituals introduce um, rules and regulations to the point where they are separating or being separated from what they were originally taught is simply saying, don't be, Paul is simply saying, don't be separated from the truth that you were originally taught. Do not allow man to seduce you, to seduce you back into a world system of sin that Christ himself has delivered you from. The, all the chapters, all four, was the four chapters in this book are saying the same thing. Do not allow yourself to be seduced away from the truth that you have been taught in Christ. In other words, do not, do not fall for the mirage. Do not fall for the mirage. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes our study today of seeing through the mirage um, for the this is going to be we have been going now since June with the manifesting God podcast so we've been six months with this podcast and for the month of December I will take off that month so I won't be on on the Mondays of the month in December but I may pop in in December but I will I will not be on officially on Mondays. I will come back in January on the first Monday in January. But I just want to remind you these past six months, we've, we, we started off and we learned about the hand of God. That was when we had our special guest, Apostle Kent. And we also, my, my spiritual father, we talked about called or chosen. Which one are you? We talked about what do you believe and who do you love? In July, we talked about the things you're father should have told you things your mother should have told you things we thought 
we knew. We talked about in July. In August, we talked about standing on the outside of the sanctuary. We talked about from ritual to relationship. We talked about manifesting God in our relationships in September. And we talked about conforming to the image of Christ. And we talked about being cleansed but not whole. In October, we talked about the making of a false prophet. We talked about what's in a name, a covenant breaker, um, a chosen instrument. These are the things we talked about in October. In November, this month, we talked about your cheating heart. We talked about seeing our way out, showing up, and sitting down, and we're ending our first season of the Manifesting God podcast with Seeing Through the Mirage. Ladies and gentlemen, I thank you so much for joining me for this first season, season one of the Manifesting God podcast. We are going to start off our next season on that first uh, Monday in January, and we are going to then be talking about, and that's January the 4th, and we are then going to go into our series of stewardship because a lot of times we think stewardship is all about money but I'm going to show you where stewardship is applicable in every area of your life and I'm looking forward to seeing you on next year I will be with you I will be praying for you remember now I said that I am going to be popping up pop doing pop-ups I'm just not going to be on on the um on right on Monday but I was 7 p.m. but I will will um, be popping in to check on you guys to make sure that you are holding steadfast to in your faith. And um, I look forward to talking to you all on next year. Now, remember, stay focused. Don't lose God in this holiday season. Remember what we have been taught throughout these past few months. Stay focused. Stay focused, men and women of God. Let me pray with you. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you today, God, for our life. We thank you today, God, for our health, our strength, our peace, our joy. That's all found in you, Lord God. You have kept us over these past few months. You have brought us through, God. We thank you so much, God, for everyone that's been under the sound of my voice, everyone who has heard your words through my lips. I ask you, God, now to increase them in wisdom and knowledge. I ask you, God, to open up the mysteries that are in you, God. I ask you, God, to increase them in discernment, God. I ask you, God, to cleanse, continue to cleanse and purify the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. Perfect holiness in us that we might walk worthy of the vocation wherein we are called. Cause us, God, to Fix our eyes like a flint on your promises. Cause us never to look to the left or to the right, God. But God, cause us to know you. Know you in the parting of our sins, God. And as we move, God, throughout the remainder of this year, God, and as you solidify us in you, solidify who we are in you, God, as you cause us, God, to 
be, God, who you called us to be, God. We never let go of your unchanging hand. May we never let go of your revelatory words, God. May we never, God, cease to give you praise, honor, and glory for everyone that is listening and under the sound of my voice throughout all the countries, throughout all this na- these nations. God, I ask you to touch them now. Strengthen them. Be their provider. Be their strength, God, in the name of Jesus. Give them revelation and wisdom and knowledge, oh God. Cause your kingdom to come and your will to be done in their hearts and in their minds. Give them peace throughout their circumstances. Give them peace in their losses. Give them peace in their gains. Give them wisdom in their gains. God, move throughout your people. Move in their minds and their hearts today, God. Let not one be lost, God, in the name of Jesus. And those that, God, you have called home, God, we thank you that they now rest with you. We thank you that they now rest in your bosom. We thank you that they now rest in your arms, God. And for those of us who remain, God, cause us to lift you up and give you glory. Cause us to lift you up and give you praise. I speak to every leader throughout this world that's listening to my voice now. Be encouraged. Be strengthened. Stand on the arms of God. Stand in the hand of God. He's holding you up with his right hand in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord God. Oh God, send your you send your encouraging angels to your leaders now throughout the world. In the name of Jesus, cause them to stand steadfast. Cause them to be bold. Cause them to speak your very oracles. Cause them not to back down. In the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord God. And as you remove God from the from their pulpits, the false, the false apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers, evangelists, raise up your true apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers and evangelists, God. Raise them up. Give them boldness now, God. Put a word in their belly, God, that shall plant the seed. While some plant the seed, let the other water, God. But you, oh God, thank you for giving the increase. Thank you for giving the increase. Thank you for giving the increase to your people of God. Thank you for giving the increase in the minds of your people, God. In the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord, God, cause our hands to go to work. Cause our hands to build. Give us a spirit of Nehemiah. Give us a spirit of Ezra. That we may go and rebuild the altar. That we might rebuild the temple. That we might rebuild in your name and for your glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. Our Savior and our Lord. We bless your holy name. 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 Jesus name I pray I pray your kingdom come and your will be done I pray I pray amen 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 thank you so much for joining me on today thank you so much for joining me on today thank you so much for joining me on today I shall see you all uh, in my pop-ups but we'll conversate again in January thank you so much Be blessed of God. And I am praying for you all. I am praying for you all. I am praying for you all.